0: Many people, programs, organizations, parties, will make an appeal to the language of virtue in our contemporary society as if it's very straightforward and there's consensus across the society, at least among right-thinking people, about these matters. And Alistair McIntyre is going to go directly after them in his essay, How to Seem Virtuous Without actually being so. He is going to be criticizing what we can call the facade, the appearance without the reality of moral consensus about the nature of the virtues, what these terms mean, how to bring them about in people through say moral education or legislation, or even just recommending character development and modeling ourselves after people that we identify as virtuous. And he begins this essay, by talking about a distinction that anybody who really cares about the virtues will want to make. He says that the adherence of any tolerably systematic and coherent account of the virtues, which they believe to be rationally defensible. let will pause on that for a moment. If you're going to have an account of the virtues and you're not going to be full of BS, then it has to be rationally defensible. You have to be able to explain it to other people in ways that, at least if they're being good faith interlocutors, they could say, aha, yeah, I see why you're saying that. You can't just go by your gut. You can't just appeal to sentiment and feeling. And you want it to be tolerably systematic and coherent. You don't want a mishmash or very superficial treatment of these sorts of matters. Now, what's the distinction between genuine virtues, people actually having good states of character, and the counterfeits of those virtues? And what would that be? So he uses examples a little bit later on. Let's take courage, right? A person that we ascribe courage to may not actually be courageous in any real sense. They may not have that as a disposition that they have developed over time, which can be reliably counted on to behave in the right ways in different situations. And we're going to talk about some of the qualifiers for that. Many people are ascribed virtues by other people that they don't even remotely have. They just have sort of like It's almost like the old game of pin the tail on the donkey. You're kind of blindfolded and you stick something in. Maybe you got the donkey's butt and tail lined up correctly, or maybe you don't. But people just kind of throw these terms around pretty willy-nilly to the point where you can have like flashcards and they're used in elementary school classroom and you hand them out to the students. Ooh, you were generous today, right? No, you may not actually be generous. You might've just lucked out at that point in time. So what is our current situation in the society that we inhabit? McIntyre's general idea about this can be found in works like After Virtue, but he's going to tell us some things hear about that and he tells us that we have rival and incompatible accounts of the virtues floating around out there As among actual systematic and coherent accounts we're not actually talking about a shared public morality which doesn't exist yet but there are you know a number of different more or less substantive notions systems of what the virtues would be and they are not all compatible with each other he also goes on and he says that despite people's claims to the opposite, there can be no rationally defensive shared program for moral education for our society as such, but only a number of rival and conflicting programs, each from the standpoint of one specific contending view. So we have this set of different rival versions of morality out there and they're incompatible with each other. That's the reality that we inhabit. We also don't have a shared morality as so many people love to pretend oh can't we all agree that no McIntyre's saying we can't all agree not if we're actually being truthful and thinking things through and being diligent and making words mean something other than just what we want them to mean right now so where does this consensus this fake consensus come from he goes on and he says that the proponents of shared public moral education, and they are enormously influential, insist that we do in fact share a morality. And so he says, my first task is to explain why it is they're successfully able to deceive both themselves and others on this and kindred topics. And he says, I'm going to suggest that they're able to do so because society does not share a morality, an actual ethic in general. What we do share is something quite different. The spokespersons for our political culture and their audience share what he calls a rhetoric, a persuasive use of language. Now, a rhetoric is not the same thing as a morality, right? Or in ethics, a rhetoric is, you could think of it as a bunch of different connected techniques and sentiments that allow us to push certain buttons and get certain results. And so he says that they share a moral rhetoric. And he says how that rhetoric differs in its treatment of the virtues from any rational, defensible, systematic account of the virtues is my opening question. How does this rhetoric differ from actual conflicting moralities? And so he talks about a commonplace rhetorical usage of virtue words. So what are virtue words? Words that uh, name certain things that we call virtues. He talks about calling people brave or generous or just. And, you know, we we say that because somebody on a limited but sufficiently numerous range of occasions has done particular brave or generous or just actions and they haven't done any clearly opposite actions, a settled disposition to act is is ascribed, right? So there's a language out there that used to mean something more, used to name something more specific, and it's it's available for usage. So commonplace, he goes and clarifies that. He says, in the contemporary public metropolitan cultures of the so-called advanced societies, such as our own. So, you know, you could take this as applying to the they call them weird countries, right? Those of liberal democracies in the 20th and 21st century that have capitalist economies and relatively high standards of living, right? But had a moral breakdown in any sort of consensus about what morality actually is. There's still this commonplace rhetorical usage. How do you know this is the case? Use the word courageous, use the word brave, use the word just, use the word integrity, use the word generosity, and people have these warm, fuzzy associations with them. They may say, well, that person over there isn't generous, but it's really good to be generous. But then you ask them, great, what does generosity actually mean? What does it involve? And they're like, well, you know, it's like uh, you give to people. Okay, give to people in which circumstances, in which ways, how? What kind of things are you giving to them? And they're, oh, I I don't know about that, right? Then people get very flustered because they don't have any coherent, systematic account of what those virtues are or what their opposites would be. And so McIntyre is going to say, they're using these words to ascribe dispositions, good dispositions to people that we should model ourselves after. They are not actually ascribing the same disposition as say an Aristotelian, virtue ethicist would be to those people. Because Aristotle actually, and neo-Aristotelians like MacIntyre, actually have some pretty solid conceptions of what that involves. He says the same sentences are being employed but the judgments to which they give expression are in fact quite different. And he says, where does the difference lie? And so here's where we get to some four questions that he identifies as being particularly important. And we're gonna discuss this elsewhere, so I'm not gonna go into these in sufficient depth right here, but we can say that the first question has to do with counterfactuals. The person behaves this way in this situation. How would they have behaved if we tweaked the situation and changed some of the variables, some of the parameters, some of the circumstances. How will they behave in the future in similar things? What reasons do they have for behaving the way that they do, for making the choices they do? What sort of things do they feel or desire or are averse to? What kinds of pleasures and pains do they have acting in certain ways? And then finally, if we want actual virtues, we want things that transfer across different situations. And McIntyre is going to tell us that any real ethics provides an answer to those when it comes to the virtues. But what happens with a commonplace moral consensus that's just an appearance, not a reality, which is essentially a counterfeit morality? He goes on and he tells us that the answers provided by commonplace usage are, as he calls it, highly indeterminate. What does highly indeterminate mean? They're not well worked out. They are fuzzy. They don't have precision because they're not really addressing these sorts of questions. So he says that the answers supplied by commonplace usage are highly indeterminate to call someone brave or generous or just according to the mode of present day commonplace usage is to leave largely open and undecided what answers are to be given to these questions. So they're not answering the questions. Or saying, eh, you know, you can kind of figure that out later on down the line. And he goes on and he says, this indeterminacy in respect of what's entailed or implied by judgments that some particular person is virtuous, an indeterminacy of meaning, equivocation, we could actually say, has two alternating aspects. And so he notes a paradox or contradiction here. So one of these is that, on the one hand, insofar as commonplace usage concerning the virtues merely leaves open and unanswered to some large degree these questions, commonplace usage appears more or less consistent with all and any of those rival systematic conceptions. It'll take on any of them. Ah, you can be an Aristotelian, you could be a Stoic, you could be some sort of Christian virtue ethicist. Ah, it's all the same. It, it all works out just fine, right? Because you're not getting Specific, particular, systematic enough. And therefore, you're actually generating counterfeits to the virtues. On the other hand, McIntyre points out, and I think this is particularly important, he says, as commonplace usage functions so as to embody a silent but insistent and continuing refusal. To supply answers to those same four questions, it appears to be equally inconsistent with any one of them, right? So there's a, as he calls it, alternating and incompatible set of aspects there. The shallow, superficial appeals to virtues that we see so many organizations, so many programs, so many people making winds up totally incoherent and blocking the way to any genuine treatment of virtues. And so here we can talk about a gap as McIntyre brings this section to a close with. He says, a large and largely unnoticed gap exists between the nature and grounds of those descriptions of the virtues figuring so notably in commonplace usage and public political rhetoric and those verbally similar descriptions giving expression to some systematic and coherent account of the virtues. And why is this gap in place? Because it has a useful function for those who want to indulge themselves in this. He says that it functions so as to protect from scrutiny the presentation of self in contemporary public and political life of those holding and aspiring to public office. So. Anybody can make claims about virtues, and if you call them on it, well, because it's all kind of loosey-goosey, because it's all superficial, because it is refusing to answer these important questions, anything can be turned into anything, right? And we see this all the time. People who we have viewed as being virtuous in certain respects turn out to be complete scumbags because they weren't virtuous at all. It was just people calling them as such. And that is one of the functions of this gap. So he says that appearance and that rhetoric are well served by the indeterminacy of the virtue concepts of contemporary commonplace usage. So this is a big problem. We don't really have any sort of moral consensus. What we do have is much more superficial, a shared rhetoric, which can be turned to all sorts of uses to make people, to go back to the title, allow them to appear virtuous, without actually being so, and then not get called on it because that conversational space, which should be occupied by more robust virtue theories, is instead occupied by people employing this superficial shared rhetoric of virtue. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible.